Um, and so today we're, we're picking back up in Matthew's gospel uh, in, in the fifth chapter. And we are on this, and we'll be on this for a couple of weeks. We are on what we call the Beatitudes or the Sermon on the Mount. Um, all those places that talk about being blessed. So let's just go to the, the Lord now. Matthew, did I say I told you Joshua, didn't I? I was thinking last week. Matthew chapter 5. Sorry, Jeff. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, <laughs> that's why I'm having a day. Uh, <laughs> forgot to turn that off. Um, so I, I just want you, just so you don't freak out, we're only going to look at one blessed today. We're not going to try to jam all these blessed. That's what the next couple of weeks are for. But this first one is pretty important, and it's why Christ puts it up first. And in this Sermon on the Mount, what we see Jesus doing is, is he gathers a large group of people. He goes up on a mountainside to, to preach. So there, you had to kind of, you know, you guys had to make an effort to get here this morning. You had to get up, you had to get dressed, you had to go out into the muck and the rain. You know, there had to be. I mean, I'm telling you this because at 6.30 this morning, when I rolled over and looked out the window and the alarm went off, I was like, you know, being in bed today is probably a good idea. You know, and, and so, but you have to make that choice, right? You have to make that journey. And so when you see that Jesus says that he was on a mountainside, it means that the people that he was preaching to actually made that journey with him. So just like you, you've made that journey, you've come out. And what Jesus does in this, this passage, um, this Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, he opens up his heart, and he, he just basically at the beginning of his ministry, he shows people who he really is and what's important. And so you might ask, well, then who is this message for? Well, yeah, it's for the crowd that follow him, but who are they? I want to read for you, um, and it's up here on the screen, thank you, Jeff, uh, from the message translation by a guy named Eugene Peterson that I appreciate. And this is verses 1 and 2 of Matthew 5. He said, when Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds, he climbed a hillside. Those who were apprenticed to him, the committed, climbed with him. Arriving at a quiet place, he sat down and taught his climbing companions. Those who were apprenticed. So who's the message for? It's the ones that are apprenticed to him. An apprentice, I want to learn from you. I learned from someone who is a master teacher or a master craftsman, someone who knows the skills better than I do. I want to learn from that. Those that are committed, those are the ones that say, look, this is what I'm going to throw myself into. It's not a passing fancy. It took some effort to follow Jesus along. But the one that I love on this, and, and I kind of like to give us this title, is traveling companions, climbing companions. 
And that, that is where we are at as, as a family of believers, as a church, as children of God. We are climbing, trying to, every day, get closer to where he is with him as our waypoint and climbing together. And it's a lot easier to climb with another person, with people. We help them support each other. So that's who he's talking to. And to pick up and, and say where these people came from and how they became apprenticed and how they became committed and how they became fellow climbers. You look back a chapter to Matthew chapter 4, verses 23 through 25, and it said, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the regions across the Jordan following. This, this is the group that's here, and it's kind of like when it's like show and tell. It's like they're going around going like, look, I followed this. I was sick, and this, this Jesus, he healed me, or, or I had this, this demon that possessed me, and this Jesus, he freed me. And they would go, and they would tell people, and they would gather crowds around them as they would talk about what they experienced as being witnesses to Jesus. And the witnesses to Jesus, the proclamation was, the kingdom that we've been waiting for, the kingdom is here. And it was being proclaimed by those who had just received a miracle or a blessing through him. And so you could point out, you could point out the individuals that are blessed. You know, you'd be like, oh, well, look, two weeks ago, that guy couldn't walk or she couldn't see or, or whatever. You could point to those people. And it gave credibility to the witness. And I, I go back and, and say that that is what we do now. We are to give credibility to the witness of Jesus Christ by being something that can be pointed to to saying, that guy once was lost, but now he's found. That, that person, once, you know, they battled this, and now they don't. And, and what was it, you know? The Word says that when the Son of Man is lifted up, that he will draw all people to himself. And we are the embodiment of that son of man that is lifted up. As people see what Christ has done through us, and it doesn't mean that we're perfect. And it doesn't mean that we're flawless. And it doesn't mean that we come to church sometimes and you listen to me ramble incoherently for 25, 30 minutes, and you sit there and go like, I have no idea what he just said. I don't know why he even felt like he had to say it. And that's what gets to this next part and why it's so important and, and why it's okay to not be okay. Why it's okay to say, you know what? I don't have all the answers and I'm, I'm tired and I'm, and I'm kind of beat down here. The beauty of this crowd is, is that this was a crowd that the kingdom of God was not only among them, but it had reached out and it had touched them and people took notice. And before we get into the, the whole thing, tell you about what the Beatitudes are not. The Beatitudes aren't a how-to list, all right? They're not something that you do. You don't have a checklist and like, oh, porn spirit, oh, oh, you don't, you don't just go through and mark them off. I think sometimes that's what we, we kind of regulate our Christian walk to is, is what we got to, you know, don't drink, smoke, or chew, or date girls that do. You know, and if that was the case, I would have never met my wife. It's the only joke I have for you today. If you don't laugh at that one, it's your fault. 
Um, but we do. We, we, we regulate Christianity as you have these checklists or things you mark off. And that's not what it is. And that's not what the Beatitudes are. The Beatitudes then are, and it's not some after a hard life leaderboard. Like you go like, well, look, that's super Christian over here, and this is the JV, and not so much. They didn't even make it to the tournament, right? It's not that. And the Beatitudes are not about a blessedness, because that's a big word, that Christians will enter. The Beatitudes are all about a blessedness that we already have that's already available to us. The Beatitudes are not hopes. We hope that we have this. The Beatitudes are exclamation of what is. And these qualities characterize Christ's followers. It's it's what a Christian looks like. Because that's really up in the air these days, isn't it? What a Christian looks like. I mean, we have these labels, and the labels aren't as attractive anymore. And I'll be honest with you, it's, it's not even that attractive in the world to say that you're a Christian. And it's because we've put all this stuff on top of it, and I think we've neglected what it is really that makes us Christian. So we're going to look at verse 3, and that's where we're going to land today, and when I'm done, I'm done, all right? So uh, no one ever gets mad at me if the sermon's short. Yet, 20 years of doing this, no one's ever said you're terrible because it was only 15 minutes. Okay? Uh, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And there's absolutely no accident that this comes first. And if you don't hear anything else, you don't have a really good idea of why you're here or, or if, if why you want to be here, or maybe you do. Maybe you're like, I, I definitely need this. If you don't hear anything else, I want you to hear this because this is the most important thing that I'm going to say today, and I think it... it, it ties directly to this verse 3, and that's this. We must be broken to be rescued and restored. And that goes counter to everything that we're ever taught, right? And we pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We, big boys don't cry. We, you know, all that stuff that we hear, you know, we, we charge straight ahead you know, we put on the veneer. I'm as guilty as anybody else. I put, on, I put on a tough guy. You know, the reason I put on a tough guy is because I've been hurt, and I don't want people to get close to me, so it's kind of like I am constantly jabbing like a boxer. I'm not looking to knock anybody out. I just want to make sure you don't get in close. But the key to this is we must be broken to be rescued and restored. So I want you to take just a moment And as much as you can, tell yourself, I don't know if I believe this guy or not, but he's reading from God's word, so it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to not have it all together. It's okay to realize that I need something. Uh, There's a theologian that I really enjoy by the name of Dallas Willard, and he once said that in his His kind of paraphrase of the blessed are the poor in spirit, he wrote it out like this. He said, blessed are the spiritual zeros, the spiritually bankrupt, deprived and deficient spiritual beggars without a wisp of religion when the kingdom of heaven comes upon them. You think about Jesus as we look at his ministry, 
where did his most effective and impactful and major movements occur? Who did it occur with? It occurred with the people that were just broken. Tax collectors, sinners, broken folks. This is because the other folks, the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious people at the time, well, they didn't, they didn't feel like they needed that. You know, it's really hard to feel like you need to be repaired if you don't admit that you're broken. Right? And, and it's hard for me. I, I want to get, here's the second joke, kind of second joke. It's kind of a, an illustration of me. I'm not right all the time. But the percentage of the time that I am right is incredibly high. Anybody relate to that? Now, the thing is, though, the thing is what that does is, is that when I'm wrong, it's kind of devastating because it kind of blows up the narrative that I'm right all the time. But I have never learned anything from the moments when I thought I had it all together. I've never learned anything from the moments when I thought I was right. I've learned a lot from when I'm told and made aware that I was wrong or that I'm empty. So as we look at this, in Jesus' language, when he would use the word blessed are the poor, that idea for the poor, it's a great story about my youngest daughter. And this is, this is just another image of what a terrible father that I am. I will not mention names because you probably would know this family, but they are very well off in my hometown of Greensburg. I mean, they, they have big signs with their names all over the place and on license plates and everything else. So you probably know who they are now. But my youngest daughter is, has been best friends with one of the children in this family for years and years and years and years. And at that age, um, when she realized that when she went to her friend's house, her friend's house was bigger. And, you know, it, she was like, why do they have this? We don't have this. And why do... And it caught me on a day when I wasn't, you know, the best dad in the world. And I said, it's because your dad is broke. I was ticked. <laughs> to like a five-year-old girl, little kid. So we had this little spare bathroom in our house. We lived in this old house. I loved this old house. We had this little spare half bath in this house. And one day I'm in there, and I look on the beautiful, ornate, wood door, and I'm like, what is that on the door? My youngest daughter had etched in the door, we are poor. So then I had to like re-catch myself and be a better dad and go like, okay, look, we don't have, we may not have this, but we're not... For that boy, you know, I remember we sold that house this this past year, and I had to tell the the new family when they walked in as they noticed the door. I was like, "Yeah, we meant to buff that out." I said, "No, no, no, keep it, keep it. It's good. It adds character to the house." When Jesus was talking about this, he used this verb "poor" as something that, in in that his language, the word "poor" is is something that we we shrink from, we cower from. We cringe from, nobody wants to be considered 
poor. It's not a badge of honor you want to wear. And they used it to describe people back then that were in complete poverty. Not, we don't get to go on vacation as much as somebody else, but complete poverty. To the people that were, were begging for food and wondering where they were going to stay. So when Jesus uses this word, that's the image that comes to the people's mind. The utterly broken and destitute. And can you imagine when the blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That first line, you had to have people go like, what are you talking about? How can, how can someone who has nothing have everything? But Jesus was talking in the terms of our spiritual lives. And spiritually, to be poor means that we humbly bow our hearts before God and realize our dependence on him and him alone. They're not spoken of any better than in Luke chapter 18 when Jesus gives the parable of the rich man and the tax collector. And the rich man goes up there and says, God, you know, I want to thank you. And he tells about all the stuff he has. And I've got this and I've got that. And I look good and, and everything. And I'm just grateful that I'm not as despicable as this sinner over here. And he points to the tax collector and the tax collector lifts up his eyes and says, Lord, just have mercy on me, a, a pitiful sinner. And Jesus says that it's this guy, the tax collector, who's going to get the riches because he realizes what he doesn't have and he realizes who has what he wants. Jesus is warning us against this pridefulness that we didn't start, that started all the way back in the garden that garden where we had everything that we could ever hope for and want, that we weren't going to be sick, that we weren't going to have prayer lists and prayer concerns, we weren't going to have heartbreak, none of that. We didn't know any of that. And we lost it all because we felt like we needed to know. They took that tree of knowledge, and when he did that, that sin got into our system. And that pride... We don't want to tell anybody that we're broken. We don't want to tell anybody that we need help. And Jesus is warning against pride like that, the feeling like we've arrived and there's nothing more that we can be added to. Our spiritual depth is so great. We've been through all these Bible studies and we've done that. I'm in church every Sunday. and I don't, I, There's nothing more that God's going to add to me. We need to realize that to be justified before God, to be forgiven and to be made upright and in right standing with God, we must first be poor, broken in spirit to realize that we have no standing in front of God. We try to fill ourselves with a lot of stuff. I'm as guilty as anybody else. Accolades, um, achievement, material things, I got to I got to got to drive Kim's car here today. I never get to drive Kim's car. We just got it. She, she has a thing I never noticed this before that the the steering wheel heats up. Well, that's the coolest thing in the world. The steering wheel heats up. I was just so happy. I'll be driving that thing in the middle of summer. I'll have the steering wheel heated up just because I can. Look at this. My hands are nice and toasty. Now when I get into my truck tomorrow. Not only does the steering wheel not heat up, the truck doesn't heat up. 
<laughs> You're like, wow, I really could get into this. I really like this. I want more stuff. Why don't I have a vehicle like this? Why? We'll chase after things. We'll chase after things to fill us up. Could be material things. Could be relationships. Could be, could be addictions. Could be anything. We look for something to fill us up. But if God isn't the thing that fills us up, we will always remain empty. But when we allow God to be the thing that fills our emptiness, then we start to realize that he can save us, and he can use us, and he can bless us. But you have to be empty. You have to be empty. Being poor in spirit is fundamental to salvation because without being poor in spirit, it is impossible to come to Christ. Being poor in spirit is foundational to our maturity as Christians because without it, it's impossible to grow in Christ. I'm teaching music. I used to play drums a lot more than I do now. I hardly ever do anymore, but teaching music. I was trying to teach a young man the other day to how to count a rhythm. He was having none of it. He was playing stuff that was harder than what was written. He didn't know why he had to read the music. I'm like, you have to read the music. That's what we do. And he was like, yeah, I don't, I don't really think I need to read the music. And again, I'm kind of a jerk. And I lost it. And I picked up a pair of sticks. And I just started playing, just playing. And, you know, I'm an old man. I am the epitome of that Toby Keith song. I'm not as good as I once was, but I'm as good once as I ever was. And just so happened that that time was that time. And I played some stuff, and I just looked at him, handed the stick. I said, when you can do that, tell me you don't have anything to learn. That's a grumpy way to teach, but I'm a grumpy teacher. So there you go. Unless we're willing to say we, need to, we can learn something, unless we're willing to say we've got something to learn, we're never going to learn anything. Unless we get to the point where we say, I may not have it all together, we won't be put in a place where God can restore us and make it so that we can have it. And we are so prideful, so prideful. This story, this isn't mine. This is one of my favorite stories. Young man, little boy, he's crying for his dad. Dad, my hand, my hand is stuck. And he had got his hand stuck in this ceramic vase. He could get it in, but he couldn't get it out. And dad's looking at him, he's pulling. And he's like pulling and pulling and pulling. Said, why I can't figure out how to get this out. Then he looked in the vase and goes, son, your hand, your fist is clenched. If you let go of the the clenched fist, your hand's going to pop right out. And the boy looked at him and said, yeah, but I do that, I'll drop my marble. That's us. We hold on to what we think is going to make us happy whether that's a material thing, a relationship, whether it's bitterness or unforgiveness, we hold on to it because we think it is so valuable, but it keeps us from being and achieving the freedom that we want. And the beauty of that story is that if that young boy just realizes that if he opens up his hand and drops his marble, not only does he get his hand back, but then dad can just tip over the vase and get his marble back. Brokenness and the realization that we need to be broken is paramount. And what we do is when we gather together like this, when we, when we talk to one another, when we live life with one another, and I'm not saying preach to or pray to or all that, I'm just saying when we're in concert with one another, when we're around, 
The Holy Spirit is working too. As last week we talked about Joshua meeting the armed soldier on the road and asking, whose side are you on? And he said, neither, I'm on God's side. But you need to take your sandals off because this, this road is, is holy ground. This place is holy ground. Every place that we step is holy ground. Even the broken roads of our lives are holy places because God will not leave us nor forsake us. He's going to be there. And so that Holy Spirit is always wanting us to cultivate and come back to a relationship with God. It's always wanting us to cultivate this place where we go, I don't have it all together and I need more. Second Corinthians 3.18, as we look at Jesus, is not only the one who tells us we need to be poor in spirit, which is always great, It'd be, when you have someone, you hate that, when you hate someone that tells you how you should be, but they're not anywhere near that, they don't live like that, like every time you see a politician speak, that's just me personally. I'm not right, I'm not wrong on that, but uh, you know, you're like, look, you don't believe that, you're not... How do we know that when Jesus tells us this, that we should follow? Well, in 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul teaches us about Christ. And he says, and we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness, which ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. Paul also talks about a Christ who took being as equal with God, nothing to hold on to, and he emptied himself, humbled himself, broke himself to the point of death on a cross for us. And when we really see Christ, we realize the power of the poverty of a spirit. And that moment of brokenness and helplessness positions us to experience the fullness of the kingdom. And that's a really big, preachy, wordy sentence. But it's okay to not be okay. If you don't hear anything else, take that away. It's okay to not be okay. Fill me, Lord, with what I need from you. It's that moment when we realize that apart from Christ, that we're spiritually destitute, we're bankrupt, and we are unworthy stand before a holy God without him. A couple years ago, many years ago, uh, actually 24 years ago, I have a friend, he, he plays with a guy named John Mellencamp, and he said we're having a concert in Indy. That was back, I don't know if you remember these times, there were times when we could all get together in big crowds and listen to live music. I know it's hard to imagine, but there once was a day, and we were... We were at Deer Creek or whatever they called it then, and we had really good seats. I mean, we had really good seats because Dane had gotten us the tickets, and, and uh, he said, well, come backstage afterwards. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going backstage. I'd walked around the whole concert going, hey, how are you? Your seats are awful. I'm going backstage later, but that's, don't think anything less of me or more of me. But, you know, here's Kim, and Kim is, is very much pregnant with Mary-Kate, our first child, and it's the summer, and it's hot, and the concert's over, and we realized all at once that everybody and their brother in the state of Indiana got invited backstage, and the line was huge. And I'm like, I really want to go backstage, and I'm looking at my, my wife, and she's miserable, and I'm like, yeah, maybe we should just, 
just go. And then all of a sudden we started realizing that they were calling names out. And if they call a name out, you would go up and say, oh yeah, that's me, and they would let you backstage. And it was just at that moment, I thought, man, it'd be really nice if somebody called out our name. And then all of a sudden there it was, John Kim Porter. So Dane had remembered that we were out in the back, and so he had our name called, and we got to go back, and it was really cool. It's not that big a deal, really, seriously. It's like bad food and, and you know, plastic people, but it was cool to say that we were back there. But it hit me that that's how we are in our relationship with Christ. That it doesn't matter if we know his name. It doesn't matter if we show up for the concert. It doesn't matter if we wear the shirt or buy the ticket or the album or anything like that. It doesn't matter how many Bible studies we've been into. It doesn't matter all this stuff. We are nothing without him saying, they're with me. And there was absolutely nothing we did to deserve to be said, they're with me. It's okay to be broken. Because God says, I can fix that. It's okay to be not as important to get into the line first because God says, I'll just call out your name. It's okay. It's okay to get to the point to say that without Christ, my life isn't painting out the way that I imagined and I want more and I'm thinking that he wants more for me. And without him, I have nothing. I can do nothing. And I stand in need of all things. And that's hard to get to the point to say. I realize that. It's hard for me to get to the point to say on a regular basis. But it's the only way we get to be blessed. And we are abusing the word blessed. Like, how are you blessed? Hashtag blessed. Please shut up. That was terrible. That was mean. I'm sorry. Let me, no, seriously, shut up. Don't say that. Because you're, you're cheapening what it means to be blessed. So the next time you see that, you say, I'm blessed. Okay, are you talking about the family's okay? You're talking about the job's good now? That the house is nice? That the material things? Are you blessed because you're poor in spirit? Because you're broken to the point where you let him fill you. And when you realize that you are broken and he fills you, you realize that he fills you to overflowing. The blessed are the people who realize that they're totally helpless and have put their whole trust in God. Things mean nothing. God means everything. This is what he's teaching us in this first verse. The kingdom is given to the poor, not the rich. The paupers, not the proud. The feeble, not the, the mighty. The drunks, the liars, the thieves, the politicians, the preachers, and the prostitutes. Because a lot of times there's not a big difference between any of those folks. And it's all those who cry out to God for mercy. Who cries out and says, I'm broken. And he hears them. And he blesses them. The kingdom is here. The invitation is yours. The price of that admission is a poverty of spirit. But it is from brokenness that leads to reverence. That leads to obedience. That leads us to the place where we're called blessed. I want nothing less for any of you than to be blessed. I'm going to pray. It's going to be a weird prayer as the praise team comes up.
And it's not going to be one of these happy prayers. And you may choose not to follow along with it. You can pick it up at any time. Because it's not an original thought. Ready? Father God, break me. Humble me. Empty me. Empty me. 